All right. We're back in the shelter, right? The underground cavern. Back and better than ever. And and Batcave. Hey, welcome to uh, season three or uh, year three for us, barely hanging on. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I, I've heard you talk about this topic for a little while. I think a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about it. Uh, so let's have you introduce the topic. I've heard you've referenced it with patients and, and literature and stuff like that, which I'm kind of excited about. I feel like you and I are uh, probably the only two that really discuss it right now in our clinic. Which is disappointing. Well, but it is what it is, man. I, I mean, yeah. you're fighting you're fighting mainstream ideas and whatnot. And, uh, it's a whole other thing. But anyway, why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about and maybe give a little discussion about it or your little rant on it or whatever you want to do and then we'll go into uh literature a little bit all right yeah i have been excited to talk about our minimalist shoes and or barefoot shoe concepts barefoot foot strength as it relates to everything let alone exercise and running and uh lower extremity health we can move up the chain a little bit to the to the back or to the hip and pelvis, but I think certainly the foot, the ankle, the knee, all relative to to what we have on our foot. So what do you what do you want to start with? Um, you want to talk about the changes that occur in <clears throat> one's posture, ability, foot strength, whatever, like when they go from say uh, wearing a shoe, also known as shod. You talked about that earlier. I really wasn't paying attention. Yeah, but they re- they reference wearing shoes in the literature as shod running. S H O D. Yep. Okay. And then barefoot running is barefoot running. So where do you want where do you want to start start and we can kind of like go off from there. Well, let's start just by saying that both you and I have started wearing minimalist shoes almost ex- uh, um, almost exclusively. In fact, I, I have stopped wearing almost every other shoe that I have or every other shoe that I have. I put it on when I try. Um, every now and then, an occasion comes along where I have to put on a dress shoe and I don't have uh, anything outside of my dress shoes that I used to wear. And I'm like, holy shit, this feels terrible. Yeah, it's not nearly as comfortable <clears throat> at all. Yeah, and I remember I used to put on a pair of shoes and say, oh, wow, this feels really good on my foot. But I did the same thing when I put on the pair of zeros that I have. I did the same thing when I put on the Wittens. I put. I did the same thing when I started with the Ultra. Uh, then I I was started to make my transition from the old shoe to Ultra, which was a zero drop, yet it still had some cushioning in it. And I knew that I didn't really want the cushioning. I wanted a low profile. The shoe was raised. I don't know how many millimeters, but it was definitely still high up off the ground. And it felt good. Don't get me wrong. That cushion felt good on my foot. But at the same point, I knew that that's not what I was really going for. But I had such a hard fucking time finding a pair of shoes that didn't have an elevated heel, that didn't have cushioning, that was low profile, minimalist, zero drop. Um, there was one store, and this was after COVID, that had a pair of the Ultra Solstice, which are a lower profile, but they didn't have my size. And they couldn't get it because we were having COVID. So, of course, we couldn't make shoes in the middle of a pandemic. We had to shut everything down. That's a different topic. No, I'm, I, no, no, no. That is not a different topic. <laughs> I'm pretty upset about it because I was convinced 
that the shoes that I had was made in America Ooh, by Americans. Boy. Yes. This in spite of the, you know, supply chain and come to find out they are made in China, but I still love the shoe. Still the most comfortable shoe I've ever worn. Uh, but you know, I want to go into my story a little bit here in a second, but how long ago did you start wearing minimalist shoes? Um, I mean, I could tell you I've got probably three or 400 miles of running on my, uh, on my zeros. Um, I put another three, four, 500 miles on my ultras. I don't know that that gives you a great time frame. Um, well, I mean, like how how many years ago do you think? Yeah, or? I would say two years, maybe two years? three, maybe three, maybe mm-hmm. three years ago. Because uh, I've been running now for the last four, and I, I quickly said I need a different pair of shoes because what I had was not good. I, I could tell right away my feet were not liking it, my legs were not liking, my knees were not liking it, and and I got a running shoe and I went for the ultra. Um, at that point, I was making these modifications to do my lifestyle across the board to try to improve every aspect, every corner, every niche that I could to get at the, the max out of my body. Weren't, you weren't wearing uh, minimalist shoes when uh, I wore Vibrams? You started wearing the Vibrams um, and I was not wearing them then. No. Okay. No, I started wearing Vibrams in 2007. You'll appreciate this. I was watching... Um, I want to say I was watching the uh, Australian Open, and uh, there was a, I think it was an Australian uh, female tennis player who was older. She had a comeback, and they were talking about her fitness, and she was like probably the fittest tennis player <laughs> in uh, on the court at the time. And they had referenced, uh, they did like a little segment where they referenced the footwear and she was wearing Vibrams, hmm. Vibram Five Fingers. And uh, those shoes were initially made for sailors so they could, uh, you know, sailors like to be barefoot for the most part. They don't like to wear uh, shoes because it becomes too slippery to uh, race. So they wore uh, Vibrams and Vi- Vibrams gave them a little bit of protection from certain things in the boat, whether it's metal or, or wood or whatnot, but it also provided grip while still allowing them to be pretty much barefoot. Right. But this person started training with them, and Vibram started making shoes that one could train with. And then they made several assertions about you know health implications, decreasing ankle pain and foot pain and uh, knee pain and hip pain and back pain, all these assertions, and uh, talked about how how important it is to be barefoot and why you need to be barefoot and using the small little intrinsic muscles of the foot and ankle that you otherwise can't use or have a hard time using wearing shoes. And and then they tried to make a bridge between why do people from other countries, uh, non-industrialized countries that don't have shoes, uh, why are they better at running marathons or uh, running sprints or why are they better in athletics for certain reasons? And many of them are barefoot. So I was curious about it. So I bought a pair. And I remember, you know, saying uh, to my girlfriend, now wife, uh, you know, I'm just going to go for a run. And at that point, I, you know, I, I typically run anywhere from like three to like, you know, 12 miles or so. I went for a run and I'm like, okay, it's a new shoe. It's like a new car. 
you know, I'll take it out for a spin around the block, but I really shouldn't go too far because right. I don't know what's going to happen. And one mile became two miles, became four miles, became six miles, <laughs> became 12 miles at the time. Yep. Dang. In Jacksonville, yeah, you know, and uh, running by the water. It was just a great run, and I felt awesome. I felt youthful, and I felt springy, and I felt fast and light. And when I got back, I was like, fuck. Yep. I, I jacked myself up. <laughs> I am going to be, I'm going to have a problem tonight. I'm going to have a problem tomorrow and probably for a little while. And then to my surprise, I was, a, I was fine the next day. I felt mm. great. Felt awesome. I didn't feel stiff. I didn't feel sore. I, 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 I was fine. So I went for another run. And then, you know, that was, that was my training method. And uh, I fell in love with it. And I said, well, from now on, if I'm going to run, I'm going to run in a minimalist barefoot shoe. And so I did. And I haven't looked back since. Uh, the problem I ran into with Vibram, I bought some Vibrams for work. But, then, you know, work is like, you what know. What do you got there on your feet? Got to regulate it, right? And um, probably the most comfortable barefoot shoe that I've had was the Vibrams and Farashuki shoes. Oh, man. They're, uh, everybody references them at work as geisha shoes. Yeah. But I don't care. They're so comfortable, man. There are, you've got to try a pair. They are the most comfortable shoe. Um, the problem with the, the five fingers, though, is it takes time to get your little you know, toesies inside those little holes. Right. And then unfortunately with Vibram, the last year I wore them, which was a few years ago, they just cut into the back of my ankle. They tore my feet up a little mm. bit. They weren't as comfortable. They didn't last as long. They weren't as resilient. And so I was, ah, I'm going to look for another shoe. And I, I saw a few, like what you found. And I found zero shoes. And I watched a little tape on, you know, Shark Tank. And said, "I'll give those a whirl because they look like they look like tennis shoes." You did see them on Shark Tank. Uh, no, I I found them when I was looking into barefoot shoes. Okay, like you said, it is hard, hard to find a zero drop shoe. That being said, I recently had to look for shoes for my children, and my children have wide feet, and they get that from their mother, by the way. Uh, that wide foot, you know. I don't want to put them in a shoe that tapers because all shoes right. taper at the toes. You know, I've been asking, I, I've, I've asked several people or told several people that, do you really think you have a wide foot or do you think that most shoes are too narrow? Because our feet are designed to widen at the toes. They're supposed to splay out. I've met countless people who think they have wide feet. Almost everybody, I think, has said, I've got wide feet. I, I have met a few people that said, I've got narrow feet. And I've looked at their feet and I'm like, oh yeah, they're, they're more narrow than, than most feet I've seen. But for the most part, everybody thinks they've got wide feet. I think just most shoes are too narrow. Like you said, they taper at the toes, they squeeze your foot in there, and then you feel like, well, I must need this extra wide shoe because most of the shoes I'm putting on don't fit. Well, I think the answer to your question is yes and yes. I think. For for my children, they, they do have wide feet. Um, is it possible that their feet isn't really that wide, but compared to the standard of shoes that you know they're told that they're wide? Yeah, maybe. Maybe the standard is too narrow. 
but that's what they they have, right? So uh, maybe the standard's too narrow, and therefore a lot of people are told they have wide feet to the standard when it's the standard that's at, at fault here. Uh, however, you're absolutely right. You know, every shoe that you find, they're, they, they taper in. And people wonder why they get blisters on the outside or inside of their foot and their arch. Why do they uh, start to have bunions and corns? Why is it that their little pinky toe gets squeezed in and, it, you know, it, it's jacked in? And it, or it comes and, busting out the side of the shoe. Or that. Or, or uh, what about the big toe? You know, how many times do, you know, do people complain about the big toe overlapping the second toe? Right. But the, the, the problem that I had was when I was looking for shoes, I knew how important zero drop was. And the original shoe, Converse, is a zero drop shoe. So that's what I put my kids in. The problem with Converse, is like many other brands, is that they, uh, now Converse makes wide shoes. You look at Nike, you look at Adidas, you look at all the other shoe brands, they don't do wide anymore. You almost have to get them custom made. And or you have to call a company, but you can't just go to the store and get a wide pair of Nikes. You now I'm starting to find that to be the case with Converse, and I, mm. I couldn't find a wide pair. Of, and then finally I found one, Chuck Taylor's. And you got to, you know, are do you like this one? You know, and that's a that's a hassle with the kids. But you, it is so difficult to find a shoe that is zero drop, that is wide, okay, for the toe box, so the foot can develop. And these are children. Right. These are children. They are de- <clears throat> their feet and their ankles and their knee. They're they're developing. They don't need to be squeezed into a narrow shoe and develop around the the anatomy of the shoe. The shoe should fit their anatomy. So, you know that it's very difficult. I and then when I was looking through for myself, you know, I found all these different brands because at the time, you know, I'd worn Vibram for a long time. Uh, probably anywhere from like five to 10 years at that point. And, uh, you know, I found all, all of a sudden all these like, you know, designer brands were making barefoot shoes cause it was a fad. And, but they were like, they're either, they're expensive, but they're cheaply made or they're not really zero drop or whatever. Yeah. And I came across zero and I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. So I, I looked at their, their site. I looked at, how they build a shoe, why they build a shoe that way, why it fits the anatomy. It had, instead of one feature, for instance, a lot of companies will give you a zero drop shoe, but they don't have a wide toe box. Some companies will give you a wide toe box, but don't have a zero drop. Or some of them have like a, you know, uh, a one centimeter, one millimeter, two millimeter, three centimeter heel with a wide box. And and there's a lot of things, or there'll be like uh, the, uh, uh, how do you say uh, they're like a high top shoe with uh, a little bit of a heel, but a wide toe box or yeah. a narrow toe box and a zero drop with a high ankle. And you don't, I don't need all that guff. So when I found zero, I was like, okay, let's look into this. I looked into them a little bit, you know, and then I found their video on shark tank. Watch that. Uh, loved what the, what was the owner's name? Steven. Steven. Yeah. What's his last name though? Sashin. Sashin. Steven Sashin. So watching his video, and if I remember correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while, he had like a, he was a runner, and he injured he had an injured uh, knee or foot, and had to, I don't know if he had to have surgery or whatnot or just recovered, but he had to recover, and then he tried to go back to running and he couldn't run because it was too painful, and then I think a friend had mentioned or uh, to him about the um, uh, Peruvian Indians uh, and how they ran in sandals. And they were like, 
I mean, you're talking about just like a piece of leather that then, mm-hmm. you know, and with a strap on it. So he, he used one and ran with it and felt, realized, I'm not having pain. I can run and I'm okay. So he built his shoe around that when he pitched it to Shark Tank. And it was really more of like a sandal. Right. Right? Yeah, that's what they brought on the Shark Tank was the sandals. Um, well, they, they, they didn't have the shoe at the time. Right. They had the sandal. Right. But they were still running with the sandal. Yeah. Which was like really like a piece of nylon rope and a, and a thin piece of like right. leather. Yeah. Or, or rubber. Rubber. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they passed on it. Big fucking mistake. Well, they, now, had, right? they had one offer um, for, five, for uh, something stupid. $5 million for half of the company. Right. They didn't want to give up half the company, and I don't fucking blame them. Why? Why would you? Um, you know, so I was like, "Yeah, thanks, but we'll we'll hang on to our company because they knew it was something that was going to take off, and and it seems to have taken off." And they're a great company. Yeah, and the owners—it's husband and wife. They, from all I know, and I don't know them personally, but they seem to be genuine people who are interested in making shoes that are appropriate for one's health. Yeah, and they discuss that. They have their own podcast and talk about that, and I would love to have them on and, and interview them and discuss it with them from a physical therapy perspective, from a nutritional perspective, from a movement perspective. I'd like to talk to them about what their perspective is and, and whether or not it's valid or invalid or how does it relate and all that. But I saw the shoe. I bought a pair to try it, put it on, and dude, it was I mean, aside from the Farashuki, I could, you can't run in the Farashuki. The Farashuki is a casual shoe that you wore, and I wore that at work. And and it got a lot of attention for that because, you know, the boss is like, come on. You know, that's not a really, I mean, is that going to protect you? And I'm like, well, if I drop a fucking dumbbell on my exactly. foot, it doesn't matter what right. kind of shoe I'm wearing. If it's not steel-toed, <clears throat> I'm going to bust my right. foot. What shoe is really going to protect you from something that's actually going to hurt your foot? Right, exactly. Um, no, we ain't wearing steel-toed boots. No, Sorry, no, not no. They're not not beneficial from our job. Um, do, well, do you think it would help if we had steel toes and we're trying to really kick someone in the butt, get them moving, like get up and go? Come on! Oh man, uh, <laughs> I try to stay away from all that liability. Uh, but I, I really want to be comfortable anyway, so I don't know about steel toe shoes anyway. No, no, I couldn't imagine. I've never had to wear a pair. Uh, those big-ass heels? Yeah. No, thank you. So I got the Zero shoe, wore it. F- fucking awesome shoe. Fell in love with it immediately. It was better when I ran with it. And I'm sorry, Vibram, I was a loyal <laughs> customer. But I, it was easier to slip my foot into it. Yep. Went for a run, and it was better than the vibram running with it it was an inc- it was a great experience i can't say to you how i mean like it was it was like a life altering experience for me now i'm thinking okay i'm going to wear this to baseball games and i'm going to wear this you know when i mow the yard and i'm going to wear this to outings and stuff like that and i'm going to wear it to work and unfortunately i don't like to wear socks so i did it without socks and eventually it got a little smelly oops throw them in the washer you can wash them they're 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 incredible and it lasted me for like three years until my wife's like, listen, that is a really bad smell. So I just had to like buy new zeros. Yeah. I, I've heard them on a recent show say that they have upgraded or improved the shoe so that it's not as stinky as their older versions. Yeah. This is with like one of their first versions. <laughs> um, and now I have several of them. I, I will. 
We've got a couple of our, our pair right out here. I believe yeah. they're the same. I believe they're the same model, just different colors. But this was my second pair, the HFS. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first pair, I actually think, was a uh, their Aqua Sport for for my obstacle races, and I just I needed a better shoe for the for the race because my um, my Wittens were worn out. So. Well, we had talked about those Wittens because you were trying to go that way, and Wittens was a cheaper pair of shoes. They were cheap. They felt great on my foot, sure. and I wore—I just wore them out. I mean, I wore them down. Like the tread on them is pretty much gone. Now they're my—that now they're my grass mowing shoes. Mm. I almost threw them away. I almost threw them away or left them at the race. But I said, "Wait a minute, I can cut the grass in these still." Yeah, because I don't want to cut the grass on my good shoes. But like you said, I wanted to, I had to have a pair for running. I had to have a pair for work and a pair for whatever else I'm doing, hitting the gym or just casual wear. So, I mean, granted, that's my, that's my Prio that I wear to work in the gym and everywhere. I would like to get another pair uh, to actually wear maybe outside of work and not just to work and everywhere else. But I'll say though, that the HFS that you you and I both run in is incredible. The feel, the experience, I did the same thing. I put it on. I'm like, oh, this feels incredible. Yeah, I'm going to go run, but only, on. two, only one to two miles because I don't want my foot to go through this extreme change from this torn plush that I was wearing from Ultra to Cushion. And five miles later, I'm like, okay, get off the road. Uh, let's go see how you feel later today. Um, and and I was okay. I think I was a little bit sore, um, but but I don't. At the time, I hadn't been running that many miles that frequently, but I did it, and it felt great. I mean, it, it does feel amazing to get out there and just run with your feet, feet feeling free. Oh, just to have your toes stretch and splay out. And you know, I will say that when you go. To barefoot running, especially if you don't transition, you just go right to it and start training with it. The first thing you're going to feel is a lot of calf tightness, mm-hmm. and and a lot of you'll get sore in the calf. And why is that? Well, you know the literature clearly shows that your your initial contact's going to be closer to the mid part of the foot and to the uh, forefoot. That would be towards the toes, the ball of your foot to right. your toes, as it should, because the calf is really like a spring. The foot is absorbing some energy, so absorbing your body weight and the the energy that you are coming down with, and then it uh, springs back the calf, the uh, the gastroc and the soleus, as well as some of the other plantar flexors. They uh, recycle that potential energy into kinetic energy as it springs you forward. So when you go from dorsiflexion to plantar flexion, and that's really an oversimplification of it. Uh, but <laughs> that's and, oversimplified. That's over oversimplified. But basically, you're using your calf more. Because it's not simple. Yeah. And and to our listeners, try this. Try walking around barefoot around your house, your tile home, or your your, wood floor, or your carpet, and walk on your heels. See how comfortable that is. People hate it. Oh, well, and then think about it from an, an anatomical perspective. What do you have underneath that calcaneus, the heel bone, that will absorb energy and protect you from the impact of all your weight? You've got a really thin piece of skin. Well, and you got fat pad, and you have your uh, you have the. This is really kind of cool. I think when you look into dyna, uh, dyna, um, dynamites and uh, from Jan van der Waal, 
Well, it's based off of tensegrity. So the Achilles tendon doesn't end at the posterior uh, calcaneus at the back of the heel. It really just kind of blends into the periosteum, which blends into the plantar fascia that inserts the underside. The it comes down. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we, we're, we should all know where our Achilles tendon is and what it a, is. We should have taken a, shoe, a foot model. Yeah. Yeah, we should have taken a foot um, model. We will do that next time. <clears throat> but I mean, looking at a, at, a, at a heel, at an ankle. Yeah. So if your heel you is. You see like, that big cord coming in. Right here. And it doesn't stop here, where no. you might think it wraps, it blends in, like you said, and becomes part of the bottom. Well, in traditional medicine, we'll say, no, that's where it stops. But when you look at like research that uh the more advanced levels of research and more more advanced medicine where they talk about the uh, biotensegrity you see the tendon doesn't stop it's just a transition piece right there where it attaches into the periosteum of the bone of the heel and then it comes in and blends into the plantar fascia so the plantar fascia and the achilles tendon and the gastroc and the soleus are all pretty much uh of one unit if you will right okay and that plantar fascia comes down the heel and inserts into the base of the toes, and one could argue uh, becomes fascia and and, and uh, also a part of the tendons and ligaments of the the muscles of the foot. So it's it's all one piece basically, uh, which is really interesting. So, but anyway, the point is, uh, if you walk on your heel, you don't have as much padding. You have skin, you have fascia, and you have a fat pad, and then you have a bone. Maybe some bone. callus on the skin. Well, you probably if you're not used to walking on your heel. Barefoot, oh, you're right. You're, you're not going to have much yeah. callus. If you're in an industrialized country, you're probably shaving those calluses off. Mm. And research has shown <laughs> that calluses grow for a reason. Right. They're not. They may not be aesthetically pleasing to some people, but the 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 physiological benefit is they protect you. They reduce pain responses. So, in other words, if you have callus on your feet or on your hand, and you touch something that is otherwise irritating, it's going to hurt less because mm-hmm. your callus is protecting you. But so you decrease the sensation of pain, but here's the cool part. You have increased kinesthetic awareness. Mm-hmm. You have increased proprioception Meaning? with the callus. Meaning you have more feeling to movement. You have more feeling to what you're touching and what you're doing. Uh, so yes. people who climb, they give calluses. Their their fingers and their hands will will change. The morphology will change. Uh as an adaptation to climbing, and they will get calluses that will protect them from the rock, but it enhances their feel, hmm. their their sensation to uh, hold themselves on the rock and, and, and doing their sport. Same thing with barefoot, people who are barefoot. But when you shave those calluses off because they look unpleasant, what you're doing is you're getting rid of that protective layer of skin that's built up. Uh, over time as an adaptation to what you're doing and now you're exposing that sensitive portion of tissue to the irritations of the world Hmm. so that's the point but but as you it's uncomfortable to walk on your heel all day right and and that's what we do when we wear regular shoes we have a built-up heel and our our foot's essentially like this because the heel is so big and those shoes will on without your intention, will encourage you to walk on the heel. And so you'll put weight through the heel. And that's one of the reasons why so many people have an increased chance of getting a bone spur in the back of their heel or a bone spur in the front of their heel where the plantar fascia is. Or they have, you know, Achilles tendinopathy or tendinosis, uh, irritation, calf problems, plantar fasciosis, uh, a lot and a lot of like stiff, immobile feet. 
uh, they end up with um, morphological changes where the, the toes are squeezed together. They get bunions and corns. Uh, they may get uh, one toe that overlaps the other, and they may end up with um, uh, different types of like uh, uh, feet uh, postures, like hammer toe and whatnot, uh, due to those, those, uh, those shoes. I thought all that shit was hereditary. Yeah. Well, my dad had, it's all physical toes and my dad had, you know, well, and that's the other thing. So if you're walking barefoot, you'll realize it's not comfortable to walk on your heel, but what is, what, what will you find comfort with when you're walking barefoot? You find comfort walking more on the middle part of your foot to the, not the toes. Everybody says, oh, get on your toes, run on your toes, walk on your toes. No, it's not the toes. It's really the ball of the foot. So you're talking about the middle part of the foot to the front part of the foot. And that's where you're going to put all your weight down. So now you're going through dorsiflexion. Okay, so the foot's coming up while the – it's really not coming up. It, it's what's, what we say when we're trying to simplify things. What it's doing is your leg is coming down in the mm-hmm. weight. So it's going like that. And then as you go to, you know, lean forward to make that step, it, like a spring, pushes you forward and gives you some propulsion. Uh, so, so that's what happens. So that's why it's much more comfortable to walk on the ball of feet. Why? Because you have more padding there. And instead of being on a rigid piece of bone, you're walking on joints. And those joints have movement to them. They glide and slide. They, they have, they, they act as a spring. You know, uh, much like, you know, the knuckles and the, the fingers, your fingers and your knuckles can go back and forth. So can your toes, but your, your heel bone can't. So that's why it's more comfortable to walk on the ball of your foot. Right, right. My dad doesn't actually have hammer toes. I was just throwing that in, for example. Well, here's the cool thing. I want to go back to what you were talking about. So were I, was I wearing uh, zero shoes when you wore the Wittens? I think I was. <clears throat> um yes you had a pair um one of the slip-ons not one of the running shoes but one of the slip-on um no no that's when i had the prios because that was the first wear, shoe that you I had. were i never saw them though um you were wearing those to run yeah but you weren't wearing them to the clinic you weren't wearing them to work oh yeah, yeah. no 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 yeah, yeah you're right because because at the time i was the only one doing that and yeah. I, I was getting some heat from uh, uh, some of our bosses about that. Yeah, I came in with mine. And you're like, wait, what is that? I'm like these are my these are my barefoot shoes. You're like, now you're wearing bare, barefoot shoes. I'm like, yeah, this makes total. This is this is the thing. This is total sense. What? Where's your? You're not. You know, I, I've told you about wearing barefoot shoes, and I didn't remember. I got so excited <laughs> that you wore them because there's power in numbers. You know, right. and I didn't have to get you know shit from other people. Uh, so once you started wearing, I was like, yes, now I'm empowered. Now I can, I'm going to go mm-hmm. ahead and, and you also, you know, if the man comes to you and is like, Hey, why are you wearing no shoes? You need to take them off. You're going to be like, fuck you. I'll wear what I want to wear. So whereas I'm more of a pussy and I'm like, yes, sir. I don't know about so, that. But that, that made, that empowered me a little bit. They never came to me about it. Oh, that's nice. I mean, it looks, it did look. It looked funny, I thought. Um, that's another reason why I didn't want to just keep those. I wanted to get something that looked more like a shoe for yeah. you know appearance purposes. Um, and that's what these do. They look like shoes. But when you are. put them on, you have a barefoot experience. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, this is I'm, I'm, I hate shoes. I always and, and if you <laughs> you probably know that now after listening to our conversation a bit. Why would you I, like them? 
I kick my shoes off when I'm documenting at work. I kick. You see me walk around yep. the clinic in just my socks or just my you know barefoot. At home, I do it right away. I tend to like to wear sandals quite a bit. You know, for the same reasons they they let me splay out my toes. Well, you asked me, do you know? I said I was wearing slippers in the house, and you're like, you wear slippers in your house? It's like, yeah, I wear slippers in the house. Um, I wear the thinnest kind, the thinnest ones I could find. Like uh, right now, I'm wearing through a pair that was gifted to me that's got a little cushion. Before that, I was literally wearing like I don't even know, like burlap, like just burlap slide-ons, like just or wraps. Um, they they were they tore through very quickly, uh, but they were actually pretty cool. Uh, that's what we get next. I mean, they were like nothing. They were paper, literally paper thin. I think my next question was, did you wear a robe? Yes, and I was wearing a robe. I didn't have the pipe. Um, I've got the pipe somewhere in the house, but um, it doesn't get used anymore. That's not a tobacco pipe. I'm no. Talking, yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, and so now I love sandals, but I'll be honest with you, I like wearing these shoes over my sandals. Mm, yeah, I, I do. I, I do too. Because I can just slip them on. I this is how I tie them. I don't tie the laces. Yeah, right, right. So they're open. I just slip them on, and I have more freedom. I don't have to grab the sandal with my toes, so I'm not worried about hammer toes and stuff like that. Yeah, but I can just walk with them. My only problem at this point is I love the style of the shoe. And if I'm at baseball, what? I, I was I was just listening. It's funny because I'm, I can hear Lisa uh, cooking in the kitchen, and she's got a podcast on. Guess who she's listening to? Not us. Oh, <laughs> she's listening to Stephen Sashin. <laughs> as long as oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she she also loves him. Um, finish finish up because I've got another all right another so, story. But then I want to get into a little bit more. I've got some questions. We may may need to turn that down a little though. Uh, but um so anyway as i was saying like my biggest problem with these shoes now is that i really like their style Mm -hmm. and so when i go to the baseball field i don't want to wear them because i don't want to fuck them up right yeah clay but i have another pair that i fucked up already there you go So i wear them anyway and but i just don't (laughs) fuck up my zero because i love they're 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 my favorite shoe and i can't i can't wear anything else now so far, it is they, they are a bit of a talking point. When I wear my blue and yellow or blue and green ones, they get they get comments on them all the time. The ones that I wear now are black. They're they're the black Prios with the red stripe. I wish I still had the blue striped ones, but they um they don't get as many comments because they look more normal. But this the best way so far I've had to bring up the conversation with a patient that listen what you have on your feet right now is not helping your feet right now um so that was one of my questions is how are we best going about having this conversation with patients and and encouraging patients to actually take the shoes off to maybe think about changing out their support their beloved supported shoes and getting into something a little bit less. Is there a point in life when it's too late? All these corned and hammer-toed and curled toes under one another, stiff feet, is it too late? Well, or maybe should I, should, should I break the questions down a little bit? No, no, I think it's a good question, but I think we should uh, maybe back up a little bit and, and just say, you know, you know, in the clinic, you and I, we see feet all day mm-hmm. on, on whether it's a hip problem, knee problem, ankle problem, it doesn't much matter. Uh, and we, we, you and I have 
you know, taking continuing eds and we've worked on people's feet. I think the best thing to say, and, and we do serve an older population right now, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, and, and, and our, our population is getting older year after year. It seems like, okay. And what's the pattern that we see? What's the tendency? I know from my pr- perspective that when Stubbornness. I see, Oh, oh, the other patterns. No, yeah. I'm Physiological patterns. Okay. And, and anatomical. <laughs> These patients are walking in and they have neuropathy and yeah. they're they're having difficulty. They have like, you know, a slap foot and they're dragging their foot or tripping over their foot. They have poor balance. Uh, they, um, they have uh, edema in their leg and their ankles and feet. And uh, when you, so they have decreased circulation. That's one thing. They have diabetic or uh, chemotherapy-induced neuropathy, which isn't getting any better. Um, or they have neuropathy from stenosis. Or, or But a lot of that neuropathy, uh, from my perspective, is also due to uh, um, circulation. It's, you know, it's uh, cardiorespiratory-induced neuropathy because they don't, they're not getting the nutrition there. Um, also, like, they have a stiff ankle. They have a stiff foot. Mm-hmm. Their their toes are so stiff. The synthesis between the tarsals, uh, the metatarsals, is so rigid and painful. It's it, it's painful for them to move them, and there's right. no mobility there. And they also lack the sensitivity of their of the feeling of their foot. Like they have increased pain, but poor proprioception and kinesthetic awareness. Which could be contributing, of course, I mean, of course, it's neuropathy, right? But that maybe that's contributing to their balance impairments and yeah. their gait disturbances. And but I see that as a pattern. And when I see that, uh, you know, you try to treat that right away. And and once you start like doing like a little soft tissue work and you do some joint mobilizations, even though it might be painful at the time, some you know, not I try not to create pain, but they're very sensitive. But Ooh. afterwards, it's like a. You know, I, I hear them all a lot. A lot of times they say, ah, oh, that feels so much better. They walk on it. They feel more mobile. They feel like they have more control until they come back again. And mm-hmm. I got to work on them again because they put on the damn shoe. But I, that's a pattern I see with these patients. Yeah. And the older they are, the worse it is. And they have deformities on their ankle and their foot and, and their toes almost every time. Right. So it was brought up a, a long, uh, a long time ago when, when we still work with, with, uh, with one of our retired colleagues. Yeah. Um, he was, he went to a seminar, I believe for balance. And one of the, one of the things he brought back to us was saying that we should take our patient's shoes off and start massaging their feet, start mobilizing their feet. Hold on. We have to give a shout out to Javier. Okay, I we, wasn't sure if he wanted his name. I don't on care. I need him care. to know. I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. We love you, bro. Um, probably the most, uh, it, probably the epitome of of, a, of what a Christian is. And yes. I'm not religious. This guy, he's a he's a beautiful motherfucker. I I love him. Um, what a great person, father, husband, physical therapist clinician i mean yeah you're absolutely right and when he would go to these like ceus he would always share this information but i wanted to give a shout out to you javier because you know we just love you bro and um it's sad to see uh to not see you in the clinic it's bittersweet to know that you know you had to retire but at the same time i hope you uh are enjoying your retirement 
like I, nobody's business. Me too. Uh, I think it's cute. You give him a shout out. Like he's actually listening to us on the podcast. Uh, the man retired to get away from us. <laughs> and the last thing he's going to do is put us on in his headphones when he's running or working out. Um, but yeah, uh, he was, he was a fantastic clinician and a good friend. Um, and, and the epitome of Christian, I agree. Um, but yeah, he says, take the shoes off and mobilize the feet for balance. And that made total sense. So I did it for, you know, a little while. And then I probably steered away from it or stopped doing it a little bit. Um, because it, it gets to the, it, you know, I, I feel like everything kind of runs in cycles. We hear something, we see something new, we put it into action and it works. But for whatever reason, we get back into another, our old, our old cycle, um, which maybe is just, you know, exercise, get on the feet and do, do whatever else we were doing. Um, I, I, and part of it, I think for me is I'm trying to get more away from the hands-on approach with people and get put the, put the omen on, honest, onus, onus, onus on them, on yeah. them the omen. Which well, yeah, the, the, uh, the onus on them to start taking care of themselves. Like I'll teach them how to mobilize their feet and take off your shoes, roll a ball around underneath there, loosen them up. Do that, do that, do that, get them loose, feel again with your feet, move them. And then we're going to keep working on your balance and your strength and your mobility. But putting my hands on the patient, I try to get away from because then that's all they want after that. that yeah, because it feels great. And it's a lot of work. There was another colleague that we had, and you remember this, who uh, actively discussed you know, the benefits of soft tissue work and joint mobilization for neuropathy. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. increased kinesthetic awareness, which I think that was uh, preceded uh, Javier's uh, continuing ed, um, but which works very, very well. And yep. if and usually what you see if, is that if they have poor circulation, doing a lot of soft tissue work from the knee down and joint mobilizations from the knee down, uh, and all of a sudden they have improved, improved uh, kinesthetic awareness, improved balance, and they do really well. But there, here lies the rub. Now we're saying, okay, I just did all this work. I don't want to do it every time I see you. And, and, right. and if I have to, it's not medically necessary. I can't continue. I'm not, a, I'm not a chiropractor. I don't want you coming three, four days a week to get this for the rest of your life. I can't justify that. So, not a massage therapist. You can go pay for that service out of pocket. Right. We're, we're function, we're function folks, right? So it is like, let's put the onus on you. You want to feel better and you want to feel better permanently. Well, this is how you can do it. And the first part is prevention. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the, that's the question you just asked. It's a dogma. It's a lot of dogma, uh, in this world. The mainstream perspective is you got to wear shoes. And the more padding, the better, the bigger the heel, the better, the wider the heel, the better. Got to have those hokas. What's can't wear with the else. wide heel? It's not to cut you off, but I noticed that before I transitioned over, I was starting to see these really fat heels with like side to side. I'm looking at this thing like, why is it so wide out here? Um, and then they've all got these big old rounded like tails on the end of the heel too. Um, and that I just, I can kind of figure that you got them landing on their heels. So they're rolling through that part now, but why so wide? Well, I mean, think about it for a uh, perspective. When it's you, ugly. When you wear a shoe with the heel, 
you're encouraging your your weight bearing to be distributed through the heel. Uh-huh. And the heel, we just said, doesn't have a lot of padding. Okay, yeah. Okay. So it can get tender and sore. So what if I give you more padding? Ah. Uh-huh. So it's bigger. What if I put some foam in there or so it's like a memory foam, which will wear out eventually and you gotta get a new shoe. What if I give you some gel to do, redistribute the forces? What if I make the heel wider? So now you have a greater uh, amount of surface area to redistribute the weight mm. for mm-hmm. weight bearing. Yeah. So now it's more comfortable to wear. And that's what it is. Okay. You know, what is more comfortable to wear? That doesn't resolve the problem because now they can't wear another any other shoe because now that heel is lower yeah. or that heel is not as cushioned. You know, and then maybe down the road they have a problem with a lot of times. I don't know the literature on this, but I would like to see what the correlation is between Achilles tendinopathy and the higher heels. That would be nice to see. Yeah, and and you know because we see that this is it's a it's a very problematic condition that people have. And then we turn around and say, "Listen, you want a more mobile feet foot, rather." Uh, you want to have improved circulation. You want to increase muscular activity so that you can flush the fluid that's been shifted to the legs back to the heart through the venous and lymphatic system. You want to have increased sensation, decreased pain with your feet. Uh, then you probably should wear minimalist shoes because your feet will go that way. And if you have a zero drop, your calf, your plantar flexors, and your Achilles tendon have no choice but to stretch out as an adaptation. It might be a little uncomfortable at first, but you will adapt, and you'll adapt rather quickly. And as you do, you'll feel better, and you'll be more mobile, and you'll be able to walk. You'll actually enjoy walking. But you hit a wall because they're told by everybody else, no, you got to wear a bigger heeled shoe, more padding. You know, you need to wear uh, a hoka. Arch support, inserts. Or you need to wear, remember those shoes, the rockers? Yeah. That's part of that too. Yeah. You know, don't worry about using your glutes (laughs) and your quadriceps and your calf to to propel you forward. You can just rock forward. Rock right through it, yeah. And then guess what happened? You see this increase in, in like hamstring syndrome. And hamstring syndrome, we just figured out what the hell that is. Well, guess what that is? If you're pulling, when you walk and you put your foot down and you land on the heel and you pull yourself forward with the the heel in front of you, instead of pushing yourself forward with the leg behind you, you are using your hamstrings to do that. That means you do not have to use your glutes as much or your quadriceps or your calf. And it's only a matter of time that the physical adaptation occurs where your hamstring gets tighter yep. and as the hamstring gets tighter now guess what you have you have a potential risk for hamstring syndrome and anytime you have an injury you become more sensitive to sensations certain sensations and hamstring syndrome is very hard to get rid of very hard to deal with and that's when sitting is painful yeah and I kind of feel like a lot of people with this hamstring syndrome end up getting diagnosed, or at least they come in and say they've got sciatica. And now they got now they're looking at the back. Well, it's one and the same. Yeah. So hamstring syndrome, you can have hamstring syndrome with sciatica, like you can have piriformis syndrome with sciatica, mm-hmm. or gastroc syndrome with sciatica, or you can have hamstring sh- syndrome without sciatica, as well as the others. 
all this means is the sciatic nerve, as it as it is uh, made up of from the nerve uh, the nerve endings, as it comes outside of the pelvis and it goes underneath or above the uh, or in some cases uh, through the piriformis, its route is to go around the ischial tuberosity, your sitting bone, and underneath the hamstrings. And the hamstrings are a collection of four muscles, and they form a tunnel, okay, in the, in the back part of your femur. So there's protection for this nerve. Your body does not like it when the nerve is exposed, meaning it's just skin. And, and you know exactly what that, what that means when you hit the inside of your elbow Right inside that elbow is the ulnar nerve, and it's just skin, skin and mm-hmm. fascia and the nerve. And you strike that, it hurts. It hurts like a motherfucker. But most of the nerve is usually insulated by a lot of tissue and bone. So the sciatic nerve is protected anteriorly by the femur, posteriorly by the hamstrings. Okay. That's why you don't sit on your sciatic nerve, you sit on your hamstrings. However, if you have hamstring tightness or you have a strain in the hamstring, that inflammation, inflammation makes things sticky, mm-hmm. can tether itself. The, the thought is that it can tether or the inflammation can affect the sciatic nerve as it's going around that ischial tuberosity underneath that hamstring tendon. Either way, you can end up with sciatica and hamstrings and hamstrings, hamstring syndrome together. And that's why you shouldn't stretch hamstring syndrome until the sciatic nerve is clear. But again, mm-hmm. the, the real curative process is why are your hamstrings tight? Right. You should not be relying on your hamstrings for hip extension. Are they a part of hip extension? Sure. Yes, of course. But are they the ones that are the primary movers? Are they involved in that? No, your glutes should be helping you. But if you're pulling with your heel, then you are pulling with your hamstring. That's not walking. Walking is you land on the the middle part of your foot to the front part, and you're pushing off with the back leg to propel you, not landing with the heel. How many people do you see land like that? They exaggerate that heel strike or that initial contact, and then they pull yeah. with their heel. And that's what people are doing unintentionally because of footwear, mostly. Mm-hmm. What if, like when we were, like when we analyze gait and we look at every step after the toe off, we go into swing phase. Or or lift off, lift off, toe off. Is that the same no, thing? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm getting Let's, to the point where your foot starts to come to the ground. We we have heel that's strike. called initial con. We're going to use contact. Rancho Los Amigos uh, uh, wording, which is very similar to the old traditional wording. So mm-hmm. you have like initial contact and mm-hmm. uh, um, heel strike. So yeah, initial contact is when the foot's touching the ground after okay. it's swung forward. Because I, f- I feel like for a long time, and a lot of people have been taught or conditioned to heel strike, heel toe, heel toe, heel toe. Yet, when we, when we walk efficiently or safely, if you will, we are, should we not be striking heel first? Should we be landing more on the midfoot, outer midfoot? rolling through the uh ball of the foot yeah you like controversy don't you well i know i don't want there to be controversy and i ask this because sometimes too so i take off my shoes right and i'll be walking around the clinic because we're on the second floor and i hear that thud 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 
thud, my calcaneus hitting the ground. I'm like, God, that sounds painful. And eventually it, it does start to it's bother me a little bit. It's not comfortable. So in my mind, I'm like, well, why am I doing that? I, I've, I know I, have, I, I don't do that when I run. I kind of do it in my shoes when I walk, though, sometimes. But I'm thinking, am I taking too long of a stride? Is it too long of a stride? Should I shorten it, land more on my midfoot or less of my calcaneus? And should patients also be being taught that? Because I feel like that, back to my, my actual question is, I've even been guilty of teaching people, take a step out, land on the heel, heel strike first, heel strike and roll through your toes. You know, I'm going to say that we really don't know. That okay. it's, it's not conclusive yet. The mainstream thought process is that you should do heel to toe. And that's what you learn in school. That's what right. the majority of providers know. And so when you talk to the majority of people in medicine, they're going to say, go heel to toe. And it's not that they're wrong. It's just that that's what they know. Mm -hmm. And that's what they think is appropriate. The bottom line is, is that you use different mechanics when you're walking barefoot. You use different mechanics when you sprint. And you use different mechanics when you run long distances. If you're running longer distances, you're going to probably be more... Uh, well, depending on whether you're wearing shoes or not, you're going to probably be landing more midfoot. If you're wearing shoes, you're going to definitely be heel striking, okay? Mm -hmm. If you're barefoot, you're going to be more midfoot. If you're sprinting, you're going to be more that um, that front part of that ball of your foot. And if you're in shoes, you know, you're definitely on the ball of your feet. But if you're Minimum walking... Well, no, just I'm just saying in general, just in oh, shoes. Oh, you mean sprinting. sprinting, yes, yes, yes. If you're walking and you're wearing shoes, you are, and it doesn't, this is where it's tough. It doesn't matter if it's a minimalist shoe or if it's a regular shoe at this point. If you've grown up wearing shoes, you inadvertently taught yourself to heel strike. Okay. Okay. And the minimalist shoes, as great as they are, they still have padding where the heel is. And so, you, you know, and if you're wearing them most of the time when you're walking throughout the day, you're still going to do a little bit of heel strike. You are going more towards that midfoot into the uh, forefoot range, but you know, when you take those shoes off, your tendency is to go back to that motor program that you learned when you were younger. But when you look at children and you look at adolescents and you look at like people who live in uh, non-industrialized countries or ind indigenous individuals, and you look at their, their footprints in the sand, or if you want to, or uh, what you tend to see is more uh, midfoot to forefoot uh, of a track. You don't really see much of a heel. Um, so to answer your question, uh, it might be a normal style of gait with shoes and more abnormal uh, more abnormal if you're barefoot. So I think that we've gone in the wrong direction teaching heel strike for all, mm -hmm. the majority of people. But when you're talking about a 70-year-old, 80-year-old, are you going to be able to uh, change that motor program? Probably not. Okay. Okay. Um, but that's why you hear the thud. That's why after a while it's uncomfortable. And then what do you? What's your tendency? You either sit down to get the weight off your feet, or you put on a shoe, or guess what? You shift to your midfoot strike. Mm -hmm. So now the question is: Can you do that every time you walk? And as a forty-year-old male, you've already established at least a twenty or thirty-year um, motor program of walking on your heel. Okay, your toes, even though you wear minimal shoes, they don't necessarily splay out. You haven't built up the cal the 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 um what what was I saying before the uh, cow callus callus callus. Thank yeah. you. You haven't built up enough of a callus to protect your mm -hmm. feet. Uh, your your toes aren't splayed out, and they don't look like hands like they do for indigenous populations. But you're getting there, right? You're making that adaptation, but you're not mm -hmm. fully there because you're still wearing shoes. So when you go to walk barefoot, you're not going to walk like somebody in a non-industrialized 
environment because you're not physically adapted to that and your motor program as old as it is is still requiring to heal the toe strike okay. does that, make, that sense? make sense yeah. yeah so you're fighting that now now you try to talk to a patient about that they you know my well my other doctor said this right. my podiatrist said this you know and they're going to refute you and then if they go and talk to them, you know, they're going to be like, well, you know, over the last 150 years in medicine, it's been this way. Mm -hmm. And you're going to look like a kook. Yeah. And the patient will most likely not, if they do pay attention to you, they'll probably dismiss you and not pay attention to you. And every now and then you might find somebody who's like, oh, that makes sense. Let me try it. Yeah. Oh, I do feel a little bit better. But you're you're fighting something that's ingrained i feel like i might have had a little win today <clears throat> but i had a patient showed up for the last two visits i've noticed in a different pair of shoes and while i was working with him um he has uh, i want to say he might even have parkinson's but um I'm 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 working on his side steps. I'm working on doing a little karaoke and or and and like a uh, what did you call it? That swing, that swing dance, that swing gate. That oh yeah, I just call it a forward walk. karaoke. Uh, forward karaoke, and he had a hell of a time coordinating, not stepping on his own feet. But I'm just watching these wide ass big shoes he had on, and I, he was he was visibly just struggling to to he. I could see the lack of a, of foot awareness, proprioception. I'm like, do me a favor. Let's try this. Take your shoes off. Just take your shoes off and let's try that again. And lo and behold, within a few steps, he's clearing his feet. He's landing more on the, on the mid to front part of his foot, controlling his steps, controlling his balance. His, his, even his, his, like when we just walked forward, instead of having this wide stance, he's, he's bringing his feet to midline as he's walking barefoot. I'm like, okay. We did that. We did the rest of his treatment, all of his exercises barefoot. The next time he, then he comes in, he goes, yeah, I'm feeling like I've got a little bit more balance. And yeah, those other shoes really were just too hard to walk in. So now he's wearing a smaller pair of shoes. They're actually fairly wide looking. Um, and unfortunately, he discharged. We discharged him today because um. he's going out of town. But I would have loved to keep watching what happened with him. And I've got other patients too. I've, I've actually been almost going for easily half of my lower extremity patients taking their shoes off and doing their treatments barefoot. Did he say whether or not he had more comfort or less comfort or was it about the same? Um, <clears throat> comfort is in like... Walking barefoot versus wearing the shoe. He denied discomfort. He did not say that he was uncomfortable. But he didn't um, say whether he felt better. It felt more comfortable to walk barefoot versus I shoe. would say he said... Well, I don't want to. I don't want to make things up. All right, um, let's we'll just. I think that he felt more comfortable. I feel. I. I think he did say he felt more comfortable, or certainly more stable, with in bare feet. Well, I mean, you had said that he felt like he had better balance, but yeah. my question was: Did he feel like he had more comfort walking barefoot versus shoes? But uh, we have another patient, a uh, patient who came in uh, because he has bilateral uh plantar fasciosis and so the answer to that was i want to he, stop you real quick when you say plantar fasciosis you're you're also referring to plantar fasciitis yeah so long ago a physician named dr alfredson 
I mean, this is probably 30 years ago at this point now, 20, 30 years ago. He looked at the differences between tendonitis and tendonopathy. And what he looked at was the Achilles tendon to be specific. And I don't know why people didn't think of this before, but he actually did biopsies and histology. And what he discovered was it's far more common for tendons and ligaments uh, to have, to develop an osis, which just means, you know, a pathology and not inflammation. And so when you're discriminating, discriminating between an itis and an osis or an opathy, you're basically saying, okay, it just started. I've had it within six weeks. Um, there's some visible swelling there. That's probably itis and inflammation and swelling. Mm-hmm. If it's more than six weeks, then you're probably looking at more of like an osis. And, okay. And that's where you just like, you know, tearing a muscle, you may have torn the tendon or the ligament or the fascia a little bit. It tries to heal. It can't heal uh, adequately. Uh, the fluid will shift from the layers of the, the tendon. You have an uh, endotendon, you have an epitendon, and you have a paratendon. So the fluid literally shifts from where the collagen is to the outside of the tendon making it look swollen, but meanwhile, the collagen, because it has less water, becomes dehydrated. And what happens when you dehydrate uh, things? Think of rice and Rice Krispies. It gets, it loses its size. It gets, uh, usually restrict, constricts. Um, it be, it discolors to a darker color, and then it becomes very brittle, easy to break, like a Rice Krispie. Right. You, if you soak it in water a little bit, what does that Rice Krispie do? It makes noises because it's absorbing fluid, all right? That's called tribonucleation. Uh, and in, in the process of absorbing that fluid, it is now changing molecularly. And now it's elongating. It's becoming more, uh, it's lightening in color and appearance. And now it's more resilient to tension and it's much more flexible. Uh, so when you have an osis, you have uh, degeneration of the tissue, whereas the itis is just inflammation. It's much more accurate in his case to say that it was an osis versus an okay. itis. And along with that, he had uh, gastroc and soleus tightness, Achilles tendon tightness and discomfort of the back of the heel, uh, uh, pain in the calcaneus, as well as on the uh, plantar side of the, the calcaneus or the bottom of the heel. So his uh, physician said, well, okay, how did this happen? He wore a pair of New Balance. He's an avid walker. Said, okay, these five new- miles a day. He said, yes, five miles a day. Very healthy individual, and he bought a pair of shoes that he thought was going to be more appropriate for him for walking. So he walked with them. Ended up with this problem. Whereas before he would walk in sandals. Okay, um, got this. Pro- developed this problem after wearing the New Balances. Whether or not that's related, I have no idea. But you know, I can make an argument. So he goes to see his uh, doctor, and it's a podiatrist. The podiatrist said, well, what you need is more arch support and heel support. So he gave him an orthotic, and he wears that, and he all of a sudden he can't walk because now it's even, it's even worse. And the explanation is, well, you need to go to therapy now. Uh, it's just it's not the, <laughs> the support. It's, it's the condition that you have, the plantar fascia. Now you go to therapy. Now you go to therapy. So he comes into therapy and he's wearing these big shoes with huge heels and he's got the support in both feet. And I start to go through some treatment with him to show him like, this is how we're going to cause tissue elongation. This is how we're going to develop 
tension resilience through the tissue. This is how we're going to free up mobility through the ankle, foot, and knee, and all this stuff. And then I, I asked him, you know, uh, are you comfortable in your shoes? And he says, you know, I, I, I think this is appropriate. That's what I'm told. But I used to wear sandals. And I said, well, you know, there's a difference between your sandals and the shoe. The heel is clearly different. We went over that whole education. And uh, if you want, try wearing the sandals, you know, just for like a week and see how you feel. He came back the following week and was like, there's a huge difference. I can actually walk now. I don't have the pain. It's still there a little bit, but it's not as bad. Um, doing quite well. And, and another week goes by, you know, he's not wearing the arch support in the shoes and he's 95% better. And, and my point to him is, oh, well, this is the reason why. And we talked about the heel drop, the zero drop effect. And we talked about the wide base issue. And we talked about all that. And he's like, well, I'm supposed to go see the podiatrist for a follow-up. <laughs> and I said, well, he may not be excited that you're walking with those type of sandals in, in the clinic. He's like, yeah, but I don't care. I see a difference. And I'm just going to have to give him a little education. And I was like, well, that's great. But you have to understand you know, people are dogmatic about this and it's a contentious discussion and it's not about evidence and literature and science uh, because they'll, you know, as much literature that's come out about barefoot running, there's a bunch of literature against it as well. And so you're going to have people in two different camps and uh, you're going to have a contentious debate. I tend to be biased towards a natural perspective. So for me, there's a barefoot idea makes more sense. So I tend to lean towards the literature. I do think that as we progress, the literature will support more and more barefoot utilization as opposed to bigger, bigger, wider, wider shoes. Right. But anyway, that's just anecdotic, uh, anecdotal evidence or discussion. Um, what are some of the things we we're, were looking at the research? Did you find anything in the research to support or to uh, argue against the use of barefoot training? From what I've read, I didn't see anything to really argue against barefoot training. As we discussed, it, it seemed to show and, and, and turn into a, a matter of having less protection, less barriers between your feet and the ground, causing a change in your technique in your foot striking the ground, where you land on every step or every run, every stride, landing more on that midfoot, rolling through the toes, or landing more or, or less on the heel, using less of that hamstring pull that we discussed earlier. And they, they, the hypothesis in, in the article said that that is probably what's going to prove to be better of the two options, is learning how to walk or run more efficiently decreasing that heel strike, decreasing that hamstring act, uh, ac access activation, and and developing your foot strength, developing your leg strength a little bit more um, as a result, decreasing that pain. Um, they, I didn't see, in that as an article from Harvard, and they didn't, uh, I, I didn't get through any other articles that said, or that were for the use of arch support and padded shoes, elevated heels. Um, I know through listening and reading um, the, some of the things that we that we hear from Stephen Sashin's podcast, as well as uh, reading through Born to Run and Born to Run Two, 
Um, they they talk about it in Born to Run too, the, the technique of running, how to run a little bit more properly, how to retrain your body to get back towards that midfoot, spring off the calf rather than pull with the hamstring, um, getting off of the heel and actually, you know, bouncing through your run, literally, um, you know, using the springs in your legs the way they're supposed to be and the way that they function. So that that's I was going to ask you what you found um, or read through any research either for or against barefoot shoes, or did you find anything supporting the use of orthotics, arch support, padded shoes, cushion shoes? So I think that's a great question. Um, yeah, you will find articles that will discuss. The use of orthotics for the posture of the foot, for redistribution of weight bearing, for uh, an improved, uh, they, they use this word a lot, alignment. Mm-hmm. I hate that word. Uh, I think you find and find increasingly that alignment is not that much of an issue, but that's usually related to posture. Because, And we've talked about posture with the spine, how there's weak evidence for posture as far as spinal pain, but we all think that posture is such a big thing a big deal. So if you have improved posture of the foot, then therefore you should have improved functionality of the foot. And they try to correlate that. So they'll talk about the use of uh, orthotics to decrease ground reaction forces to um, allow for an improved function of the arch, uh, improved function of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, both the, the short, the long plantar ligaments and whatnot. They uh, will give you uh they will tell you that you won't overpronate or oversupinate because those can be problematic. Which, in essence, if you're going to have to choose between overpronation and supination, you want to you would want to overpronate because it's like right. a, it acts as a spring. Your foot, when you push off your foot, your foot becomes a rigid lever. Okay, it has to become rigid because it's propelling you. But once you go to land on it, it softens up, it pronates, and becomes a spring. So it goes, it it absorbs energy on the landing. And then becomes a rigid <clears throat> lever to push you off. And so this discussion about overpronation and supination and whatnot has to do with basically alignment and posture and things like that. And so orthotics talk about decrease in pain and, and such. But there's an overwhelming body of evidence and literature that shows that barefoot running, barefoot walking, not only increases one's proprioception, it increases one's balance, it increases ankle stability, so you're you're less likely to hurt the ankle. It increases one's, um, it decreases, uh, I think this is the same thing you said, right? Decreases ground uh, contact while increasing stride. So you're not taking a long stride, you're taking a shorter stride. Is that correct? Right, right, yeah. I said you wind up taking shorter strides. To right. land on that part of your foot, to, to stop landing on the heel. Yes. And then what happens is you have um, a redistribution of the ground reaction forces between the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip. So this is why Vibram initially said before they uh, lost the lawsuit in Australia that it decreases injuries in your leg because you have decreased impact of ground reaction force through those joints. When in reality, what you're doing is you're just reallocating the stress throughout the whole body and uh, absorbing energy as you go, as you recycle it into additional energy. It has been shown to uh, promote greater strength in the foot and ankle. It has shown to create more power and speed. Uh, And those two things, power and speed, as we get older, what do we tend to lose? It's not necessarily strength. 
it's more power and speed, yeah. um, which is relevant because if you don't have enough power and you don't have enough speed, then you have a higher risk of falling and you have a higher risk of uh, succumbing to um, pneumonia. So you have an increased risk of poor quality of life and an increased mortality. So power and speed is a big deal. But when you're talking about barefoot training, there's, there's a plethora of improvements that seem to occur. And the literature, when it started 30 years ago, wasn't that big. But now it's, it's becoming very, very large. And so this is why you see this big push towards using shoes that are more anatomically appropriate, like the zero shoes, um, which are built for one's anatomy versus a hoka, which is not built for one's anatomy. So I wonder if you have a shoe that we could show, an old shoe that we could show. I do. In the anatomy. Not in this room. I can grab one. Go ahead and grab one okay. real quick, and then we'll pick up from there. Okay. There we know. Go ahead and show. Well, and that's the other thing, too. Research has shown that barefoot training also increases, uh, lo and behold, not only circulation uh, of the leg and foot, but it and, and also helps with swelling. But it also increases mobility. So we'll we'll look at those two compared. So you can see there's no heel there. And you have a pretty big heel. Is that Adidas? This is not Adidas. K -Swiss. This is K-Swiss. Okay. So now you see the heel. Now let's flip it over. And you can see that's not too bad. But traditional shoes have a, a much wider heel, which is just as wide, if not wider, than the toe box. And when you're looking at a shoe like the uh, Zero Shoe, you'll notice that the heel is a little bit narrower, uh, a little bit uh, shorter compared to the toe box. The toe box is the widest part, so which is appropriate because that's exactly what your foot it looks like. Uh, so that's not too bad, but other shoes are more egregious. And to be honest, that was one of the, the reasons why I liked K-Swiss was because it was wider. Now, this pair is wider at the, like the mid-lateral right. area than it is at the toe. Well, let's let's do that. Let's show everybody the 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 ba uh, the the foot part, the the forefoot. You can see how it narrows in the front, whereas the zero narrows less. Okay, so that is a I don't I don't know why we still do that. Uh, maybe all the shoemakers are former Quakers, but <laughs> <laughs> what's the point? What why are we crowding our damn feet like that? And we're not cow cowboys. I mean, come on, like. Come on, make a I, shoe. I, yeah, I don't know either. I, I don't know if they know why they do that. Um, it must I, be I, just a trend. I feel like every uh, I, I, every time I would put on a pair of Nikes when I, and walk around, maybe the, the lack of width at the toes made me feel like I was literally flipping or rolling right off the foot. Mm. And it made me feel like I could go faster. It made me feel like I could lift off a little bit easier or quicker than than when I had more toe. Could you? I don't know. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> but in my mind at the time when I put those on, I thought, oh, well, this is great. I want to go run in this shoe right now because I feel how my toe is leaving the ground and it seems like it's wanting, wanting to come up really quick. Um, <clears throat> I, know, bet, I bet you... That'd be kind of cool to see which one you're faster in. Um, that probably, would be interesting. Yeah, probably a good idea to do. That would be fun. Maybe we can do that. But, um, I but, don't have a pair of Nikes anymore. <laughs> but when you wear 
when you have a shod or a shoe, yeah. a modern day shoe, on, you have greater stiffness of your ankle and your foot. When you have a, a barefoot experience or a minimalist experience, uh, you have more mobility. So I would put money on the one, the shoe that has, gives you more mobility because you have less impact to the joint. You have greater energy absorption and translation into that propulsion phase. Uh, and that's probably why they feel so damn good. How would we do this test? Would, it, would this have to be a, a multiple-day test? Because if we, certainly if I go run as fast as I can, and then I change shoes and try to run as fast as I can again. I may not be, I may be slower just by, by fatigue. I think it might just be a, a something where we could do like a, a 20 or 40 yard dash. Take, recover. Yeah, take like 10 minutes to recover in between and do it again. And maybe, um, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you start it with the minimalist shoe. They'd be like, oh, of course you're faster because you're not fatigued. Mm-hmm. But if you started with, uh, the, if, you, if you did the zero shoe, after they'd be like oh well you're warmed up now that's why <laughs> yeah, so exactly. either way um i don't know i think it i don't know listen i i don't really care i just know what's more comfortable yeah and how how much better i feel and i'm looking at the literature and the literature is supporting what barefoot uh training and minimalist shoes are are, are talking about are purported so and I'm reporting it rather yeah, if and for other people to to look and see the literature, where are we finding the literature? Well, I mean, we talked about this, you and I mm-hmm. did. I've read this literature, you know, since two thousand and seven when I first started investigating all this stuff. Um, and like I said, you know, twenty years ago, like that, it, there was very little research, and it was all just opinion based review and uh, anecdotal. Uh, now there's a lot of literature. You can just literally, you can just Google it. Now, I would say if you Google it, make sure you're looking at reputable sites. dot edu's. dot orgs. dot gov. Not or, not a Nike. dot com. No. <laughs> or go to you know Google Scholar. You know and type in barefoot running, barefoot training, barefoot walking. And, you know, you always, at, what you want to do if you want the most current knowledge is you want to go no more than 10 years back. So that would be 2013 and ahead. And and read some of that literature, good or bad. Read both. Get a, get a perspective for both sides and then render your own opinion. And then if you try it, give it like a week or two so you can get some adaptation and see how, what you think, how it feels. Yeah. I I. I think it's harder for an older individual to see a bigger difference because they've been down this road for so mm-hmm. long. I think it, maybe it takes longer for them to notice a difference. I don't know. But I think that younger individuals, and this is why I'm so big with my children, they're developing. I don't want them to develop in something, develop around something. I want something right. to uh, develop around them. So I, I am very particular. And I, my wife is, you know, I tell my wife this from the get go, I want them to be barefoot as much as possible. Now she didn't agree with me and she argued with me about it. But when it came to my youngest son who has SMA, she quickly learned, oh, this is why you don't want to brace him. 
oh, this is why you don't want to put those types of shoes on him. This is why him being barefoot and not being in braces is beneficial because he's moving more. He's yeah. getting better with activity. And and again, she came at it with a mainstream perspective and right. I'm coming at it at a perspective of like naturalism. And also um, I'm looking at the literature and I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense, but this does. and you know, let's go this route. And so now she like, she's like, okay, I can see it. I can see why. So when we get shoes, you know, for her and for the kids, it's let's get something that's a minimalist shoe that's specific to the anatomy. So we can actually function function and not have to worry about secondary problems. So are you guys a whole zero family? No, not yet. She's still like, she's still investigating what shoes she likes a lot. Mm. And they have to be super cute. Has she put on a pair of, of zeros? I don't think she's worn any of the zeros. You know, that's a great idea. I should buy her a pair of like yeah. zeros just to see what she thinks. You can use my affiliate link. Mm. No, <laughs> we're going to develop an affiliate <clears throat> link for this podcast. That sounds like a great you. idea. Um, <laughs> I, I will say I did. In fact, it, it may be why we're dating today. Saw Lisa. One of our very first conversations was about heel pain, plantar fasciitis or fasciosis, and the hoka she was wearing, the insert she had spent hundreds of dollars on, nearly probably thousand dollars. Oh, and she had the she bought a pair of shoes. Yep, and then had to buy inserts for the pair of shoes. Yep, to allow her to feel comfortable in the pair of shoes that she bought. Yep, <laughs> that that she was instructed to buy. Right. Just think about that for a. For a second, just think about that. If that was beneficial, why, why? I see. I tend to agree with evolution. Right. Some people may not agree with that. They may agree with creationism. Okay. <clears throat> why would God create you any other way? Bingo. Why would you evolve any other way? Bingo. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Just think about that. Well, she, and what are people across the world who don't have the luxuries yeah. that we have? What the hell do they do? Are they all in like terrible condition and can't move and do it? No, they yep. can fucking walk over rocks through rivers and jungles and they can hunt. squat down ass to grass for hours at a time. Thank you. Yeah. They can catch salmon with their feet and have lunch. Oh. It's a, uh, uh, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm ranting here, but that judge just drives me crazy. You know, we have the answers and you need to wear an expensive yep. pair of shoes. And then you need to wear an orthotic to give you additional support that the shoe can't provide, even though it's the best shoe in the market for your condition. Yep. Yeah. Bullshit. I keep, I keep, I run with a friend of mine and he keeps buying Nikes and he loves them. And every time he buys a pair of Nikes, guess what else he buys? An insert. I'm like, why? Like, what? You just spend $180 on a pair of shoes that are top of the line, and then you spend another $60 on an additional insert. But shouldn't the $180 have already covered the whatever else you're going to put in there, or the not need to put anything else in there? Um, but no, uh, Lisa just celebrated. We just celebrated. She she finally last week took the the little squishy heel raise heel lift out of her um, out of her other shoes out of her shoes. She's been wearing zeros. We are she's running longer distance in zeros, um, and she's feeling better. She when we met, she couldn't walk. She couldn't walk her her five miles a day that she was accustomed to because of her pain was so bad. She couldn't walk at all. So it's made a huge difference for her. Huge difference. She loves it. What about and what about when she's working? Is she? She's working um, now. She's she's fine on her feet. Oh, she awesome. she does wear her zeros when she goes to to cook. When she's up on her feet, her feet feel great. 
Um, realistically, she just hadn't taken the the heel lifts out of the shoes yet because she kept forgetting to take them out. Fucking um, but she finally said, I got to remember to take those out today. And she did. And it's awesome. Please, please. If you're, if you have a leg length discrepancy, do not wear a heel lift. Ooh. Get a fucking orthotic. Lift up the whole foot. The right kind of not, orthotic, yeah. Right. Get an orthotic for that one foot, for that one, one foot, foot to lift your foot up to help you with that discrepancy. If you have a functional impairment, if you do not have a functional impairment and your body's adapted to that leg length discrepancy, leave it alone. Otherwise, you'll create more problems. Otherwise, do not put it in a heel lift. And if you're telling somebody to use a heel lift, stop giving fucking advice. <laughs> Get them. What are you doing? You're going to lift the heel, but not the rest, of the, sh- uh, the rest of the foot. So they end up with problems down the road, secondary problems that they don't need. Lift up the whole fucking foot, please. That's why they build up shoes now. And that's why they have orthotics that will pick up your foot inside the shoe. Please get away the fucking heel lift. Jesus, I, I, man. I questioned a therapist about that. I'm like, you keep telling these people with with leg length discrepancies to put a heel lift in. Shouldn't you be putting a, a complete a, a complete lift for the shoe for the whole shoe? He goes, well, yeah, but we're just going to see first if this helps. And if it helps, then you know, then they can get a whole a whole length or a whole shoe adaptation or adapted they can get a whole shoe raised or whatever i'm like yeah but are they be specific how soon are they going to be discharged before that happens and how quickly does that happen i want to see if there's a difference by doing something else that i would eventually tell them do the do a a different thing to yeah you know what when you wear a heel lift because of a leg length discrepancy it's like wearing a fucking heel like wearing one of those stilettos while wearing a shoe on the other foot yeah that's what it's like and that, that may seem like an exaggeration, but over time, you're going to develop secondary problems. And then you're going to be wondering why. Mm-hmm. It's just common sense. For, for fuck's sake, it's common sense. Uh, you know, I just wish people would use their brains more. Think about this shit. And if it's hard to think about it, and it is, it's tough sometimes, look into the literature. Yeah. Look, you have resources. With the internet, there's so much information going on. There is no excuse to not be abreast of the information that's present. Oh, I digress. Um, well, anyway, I think this has been a great conversation. One that we plan on having again down the road. We're going to need to for sure um, because this was just really kind of a, a the first sit down about it. Um, we've kind of, or I've been trying to avoid actually talking too much about this outside of this podcast because I wanted to actually have this fresh conversation on the podcast. Yeah, I've seen. You know who else wears zeros when he wore them and for our podcast? I was like, oh, those are. I, you know. Oh, is that Caleb? No, Ken Diesel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he does. I remember that. Yeah. And he's uh-huh. like, I wear these fuckers everywhere. They're yeah, my that's what shoe. I, I was. I was. I noticed him. He was the one that told me to get the Wittens or told me about Wittens. Oh. Um, I saw his foot uh, or his feet, his shoes. Um, when I was training over there and and um at DreamFit, I give him a little shout out. And um, I was like, oh, you've got the barefoot shoes. He, he's like, I fucking love them. Yeah, feels right. great. My feet are free. I can move. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I just started wearing the ultras and was making my transition toward them. And he's like, yeah, do it. You know, um, and I'm like, okay. So he went from Wittens to uh, Zero Two. Um, yeah, I, I think. Was he wearing actual Zeros or was he just, was he wearing a different No, he was shirt? wearing actual Zeros. Okay. And yeah, I just want to be, remember. I want to be absolutely clear about this. We are not uh receiving any where there's no conflict of interest there's no 
We're not receiving any type of compensation from zero. They don't even know we're talking about this. We're just talking about zero because we really enjoyed them as a minimalist shoe. But whether you're wearing Vibrams or you're wearing Ultra or if you're wearing Wittens or there's other brands out there, there's like Splay shoes as well and whatnot. Minimalist shoes are just that just great. It just happens to be that, you know, Joe and I both think that the that the uh, zero shoes are the most comfortable shoes that we've worn so far. So we're not we're not trying to promote anything. You find your path and your way. And, you know, God love you. I hope it works out and hope you feel great. You know. Yeah, I've looked I've looked for other shoes. And like you said, these are just my favorite uh, that I found. And I've I know like Vivo are another Vivo, uh, yeah. minimalist shoe. Um, I'll be honest, they just don't look all that cool. Um, most of them. Well, I mean, and then you have your major brands, Nike, Adidas, right, and Reebok, right. and all them. They they try to make a. They tried, but to eh, be honest, whatever. I don't even want to give them any more of my money. No, really. No. Um, they and they they said it right. Like, why would they put out? Why? Uh, um, you know, all of the minimalist world has said that why would they keep putting out a minimalist shoe in Nike, which is completely opposite of all the other shoes that they have? That doesn't make sense to them for them. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If we've got a shoe here that's actually better than all the other shoes we've de evolved our, our clientele in, what are they going to say when they realize that we've been giving them shit? But their barefoot shoes aren't even barefoot shoes. They're not. And no. let's be honest here. When barefoot shoes first came out, Vibram owned the patent on mm. it. So people could not make barefoot shoes until Vibram's patent was done. So Nike Adidas case was all of them. They, were, they, they had to wait for the patent to, to be up. The patent came up. They said, well, we want to compete in this market. So that's when they started making them. But they weren't really barefoot shoes at all. Right. They still had a large heel. They still had a constricted uh, toe box. They weren't really built for your anatomy. Their argument was, oh, it's gonna you're going to feel like you're barefoot inside mm. the shoe. And it, it just wasn't that case. They And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if they care. I don't know if they understand the uh, literature and the evidence and the reasoning behind it. Uh, or if they're just trying to make money. I, I tend to think that they're just trying to make money. They're a corporation, and that's what corporations do. Keep up keep up with the market and do your best, you know, to make yeah. money. Yeah. But nevertheless, we're uh we're gonna give a shout out to uh, uh Steve Sashin and we are going to reach out to him to see if he will uh interview with us on our podcast. Um so that's what we're gonna try to do. And have maybe a more detailed discussion about uh, the anatomy of the foot. Because one of the mm. things you talked about was arches and keystones. Right. And the keystone and the arch would certainly be the medial cuneiform as it lies in between the navicular, the navicular and the um, first metatarsal. And that is supported by an arch uh, that is uh, provided via the posterior tibialis tendon, the plantar fascia the long and short plantar ten, uh, ligaments. And if you remove one, such as cut the plantar fascia, you have a high, high, high risk of tearing the long and short plantar uh, ligaments, which means you have a collapsed arch. And then you end up with posterior tibialis, uh, tendinopathy or rupture or injury. So we're, we're going to have more of a detailed conversation with them about the foot anatomy, uh, why a keystone is important, and the construction of an arch and what that does and why you have why um the bony architecture and the fascial element or the ligamentous integrity of the foot is very very helpful for stability 
um, in addition to the musculature. But anyway, I think that's all we can do for now. Yeah. So, Steve, if you're listening to this, which I hope you will, uh, please you know, consider uh, being interviewed and coming on our podcast so we can talk feet all day long and uh, uh, discuss barefoot training. Anything else, buddy? I was going to say we're we're not being um, sponsored or um, what did you say paid or um, there's no conflict of interest. No conflict of interest. Although we would like to to set up a an affiliate account, a link for the podcast, so that maybe we would because I think it's important to invest in and or to you know uh, get like if you when you believe in something when you use something. You should have a little bit of stock in that product. Well, this would I, be a little bit different because it's more of a... I agree uh, with you. But remember the original premise of the podcast. You also want to take some of those proceeds mm-hmm. and donate them to uh, you know, certain associations like cystic fibrosis and uh, you know, MDA you know, to benefit children who are born with conditions yeah. that are irreparable, that are just... Yeah. You know, I, I I don't know what to say about it. I am I'd like to see a cure soon. And if I can help with that by donating some money to the associations, if I can reach out to our subscribers and just say, "Hey, listen, just throw and you don't you know what? Listen, if you don't want to donate to us or if you don't want to help us out to monetize this podcast or anything like that, that's fine. If you feel more comfortable donating to those associations, do that. That might be even better. I I just want to help out those, you know, those individuals, not just children, but I want to help out people with cystic fibrosis and muscular dystrophy and SMA because uh, those are near and dear to our heart. So if we do have an affiliate account, uh, those proceeds, uh, a good portion of them, 25%, will be going to those associations. So I think that's that. That is that. All right, guys. We appreciate having you on our uh, third year and listening to us rant and rave about barefoot trading. We'll talk more about this down the road. Hasta luego. Peace.